So why are you here tonight? I'm looking for Emily. Em's been AWOL for a good month. Nobody's seen her. I saw her yesterday. Nearly nobody. Listen, you're scratching at the wrong door. I didn't know Em well enough to know the details of what she was in. I just got wind of the downfall. If you haven't got a finger in Em's troubles, then why did her name get me into your rather exclusive party? Keep up with me now. I don't know, but it sounded like you did. And Body's got a right to be curious. No, I'm not so sure. I'll put that body to bed. I don't know a damn thing about whatever troubles, and that works for me. I just want to find her. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good, Ryan. How are you? I am back. That's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling like I've returned. That's my emotion too. Back. <laughs> no, no. I'm an actor. That's that's my word. I'm back. I'm acting back. Mm-hmm. And you are here too. We are both spitting Polish likingly because we're always spitting and we both happen to be Polish. Any Polish news? Anything happening over there? Anything going on in Poland? What's going on? Yeah, I think nothing. <laughs> it's just nothing's been going on over the last couple of weeks. It's been pretty silent, actually. Actually, yeah. we should hear from them. Hey, Poland, you okay? Uh, so that's the Polish news for this segment of the show, of our show Pictures Powwow, uh, in which we talk about movies, actually, specifically a movie that has come recommended. Bartek, it, the recommendation fell on you for this one, and we had to take a week off just to recover from your choice, and to recover from my massive blunder for thinking that this film was Layer Cake with Daniel Craig. For some reason, I was like, oh, yeah, that movie. I was like, it's a Daniel Craig movie, but you were like, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ryan, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and Daniel Craig, right? This is a movie that got him Bond. I was thinking of Layer Cake. <laughs> Brick Layer cake, who knows? They're both the same film. Brick laying. Brick laying a cake. Um, because brick is also a name, uh, apparently. Mm. I know that from Anchorman. Uh, <laughs> brick. Yeah, that's our standard for real life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know it from the TV show The Middle, yeah. in which their son's called Brick. But enough about so, that. So we've, we've said the title of the movie, right? <laughs> layer cake. <laughs> layer cake. The movie is 2005's Brick. By... By Ryan Johnson. Uh, it's his directorial debut, I believe. Debut, oh, but is in there, sure. Yes, uh, I, was about, I literally was about to say, yes, layer cake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brick, directed by Ryan Johnson, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a few others. Uh, if you have not seen the film Brick, we will be spoiling it, so there's your warning. We have seen the movie, and since it is a movie of intrigue and mystery and you are interested in seeing it for yourself without getting anyone telling you the plot beats, get out of here and come back and listen, okay? Go watch it for yourself. Come back. Listen to us talk about Ryan Johnson's opening film in his filmography. Bartek, you recommended this. What's your history and relationship with it? You gave us a little bit of a tease last week, Mm -hmm. or last episode, I should say. When I was in uh, year 10, we were doing media class, and we were, I think we were doing a topic on film noir films. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, since it's a media class, we would have to watch some film noir films, uh, you know, as part of the curriculum. Mm. Um, and our teacher decided to show us Brick in class, this movie that we are talking about today. Was this one of many, or was this the only film he decided, you're going to watch Brick for film noir? Not Maltese Falcon. 
he certainly talked about Maltese Falcon a lot. I can't remember if we watched anything else, but this is the main thing I remember us watching. Mm. Um, and I remember in the periods where we were watching the film, it was when he couldn't attend the class because he was either sick or busy or doing something else. Yeah. Um, and so we obviously had some replacement teachers show us the film. He and... was solving a crime. That's what he was doing. <laughs> he could have been. Um, so we were watching Brick in class and in general, the class wasn't feeling it. Like I remember myself and my friend, we were just kind of goofing off the whole time, like mm. making fun of like little things that we notice in the film, not really giving it the proper respect of a viewing. And since you're watching it at school, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't you didn't just watch it in one go, did you? Or did you? It was, wasn't enough time to watch it in one so go. So you had to watch it over a I couple would, of days. I would imagine so, unless it was a double period, but it was an elective. And, and, let's, sure. and let's be honest, this is not a film you break up into segments to yeah. watch for teenagers. Yeah. So, but in my head i always had it in in my head that uh that i didn't give this film the proper viewing experience and that one day i would have to come back and give it another go and so i thought hey i'm doing a film podcast now when's a better time than now and what did you think um i certainly appreciate it more now but i i can't say that i'm necessarily uh too into it there, uh-huh. there's there's stuff i appreciate in this film but overall it's a Ryan Johnson film. It's 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 a unique ride, yeah. Okay, Spartak is saying it in reminiscent ways of Neon Demon, where, where there's some gritted teeth. We're gonna hear what's going on in Bartek's <laughs> brain. My history with this film is I am aware of this film. I have not seen it before doing it, but I have been aware of it. Uh, I I guess I'm a of a, a knowledgeable person of Ryan Johnson's film career and tv career like when he did star wars the last jedi i was like surprised that they chose him Hmm. not i shouldn't have been but i was surprised because i'm like oh that's the guy who did looper and directed those amazing episodes of breaking bad like he did some of the best episodes of breaking bad directorial wise he did this other movie called i want to say the brothers bloom i want to say that's the one where it's about like ping pong or table tennis or something weird like that or croquet and that one was a good movie. I like that one. And then Brick. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the one where it's like a high school detective movie. With Daniel Craig. <laughs> With Daniel Craig. No, I thought Daniel Craig. Yeah, I mixed Layer Cake and this movie together just because of the title. But I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of the movies uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt did after he finished up Third Rock from the Sun. This was in like that weird middle era of his career in which he was just coming off of being a fresh-faced teenage boy for us as an audience, and before he became this handsome leading man guy that we know him to be now, or like that handsome supporting leading man guy. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. This is before he was Robin in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, So I knew it in that way, but I haven't actually watched Brick before, and I'd only heard people talk about Brick in the way of saying it was a great start for Ryan John career and you would see how he would improve his storytelling and his filmmaking from that film onwards you would see like how he builds it up and gets better and better I watched it last night and I found it very intriguing I I, I found it um, captivating my one word to describe this film though is distracting mm. um 
and distracting in the way that uh, a first-time filmmaker is distracting. And I, I wonder if you'll you'll feel this too, which is, hey, Ryan Johnson, I know you like these things. You don't have to put them all in your movie. Like, I know that you like Cowboy Bebop. Clearly you do. I know that you like the Maltese Falcon. I know you like all these things. You don't have to put them all in. And it was distracting in that regard of like you you know, a lot of first time filmmakers, early filmmakers, they wanna they wanna do the things that they like. Yeah. We've seen that in film classes that we've been to when people make their own movies, they're trying to do Quentin Tarantino, they're trying to do this. Since this is a noir, he's really trying to evoke these noir things, but also he is a he was a nerdy kid evidently and he liked his anime stuff as well. So he has that in there with cowboy bebop stuff. And I found it supremely distracting. And I would be keen to see if he redid this movie now, in which he now has more of a unique voice of his own, a more well-defined voice mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. Here, you can see he has a he has a voice, he has a vision, but it's it feels like it's 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 underneath this thick layer of grime of homage and evoking stuff they like. This isn't Reservoir Dogs, where Reservoir Dogs, yes, Quentin Tarantino likes all of these movies and stuff, but you have things there that are so Quentin Tarantino straight off the bat. Like, how does Reservoir Dogs open up? Do you remember? It's uh, it's the scene with the waitress, right? Yeah, the diner, and they're talking about Madonna. And that's, like, so unique and interesting, even though this is going to be, like, a heist movie without the heist, mm-hmm. right? They, he doesn't open it up like all of those movies, though. He opens it up at the diner, which you could see in those movies. But what are they talking about? They're all sincerely talking about Like a Virgin by Madonna. <laughs> and Mr. Blue's like, I actually liked her other song. And they're like, shut the fuck up. It, it, it's uniquely him. Quentin Tarantino falls in this realm as well of, like, directly taking too much and it's a bit distracting. But I found this movie supremely distracting of, like... I am a fan of film noir. I enjoy Humphrey Bogart movies. I enjoy Sydney Greenstreet. I enjoy a lot of these. And I've also seen Cowboy Bebop, and I found it like, okay, guy, okay, Ryan Johnson, I've seen these before. Tell your stuff. Do it your way more. That is my feeling. What about you? What What did you think? Um. Well, I've I've also seen Cowboy Bebop, but I'm not too big into film noir stuff like obviously mm. i've seen a few things of it you've been in a noir we've been in a yeah both of us we've been in a performance called noir which was <laughs> inspired entirely by film noir mm. uh, movies and we were trying to make a uh, film noir in theater form uh, and that was an interesting class mm. really interesting that's a story for another day <laughs> um but I'm not as familiar with it as you are, and I wasn't really thinking about, you know, what specific things I was familiar with that were being homaged in this film or referenced. So mm. it felt less like, oh, yeah, I know what you're referencing here, and more like, oh, is this actually how film noir is? Like, mm. I, I, the, the conventions being applied weren't as clear to me, other than, like, oh, the principles, like the the chief that you report to. Yeah. <laughs> um, he shaft. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the characters, they they didn't quite get introductions. It feels like, oh, this is already a lived-in world. These characters mm. are already, like, established in a hypothetical pilot or something. Um, the, the, the main character knows everyone, and anyone he doesn't know, you know, he, they get introduced to him. 
Um, so yeah, it was really just trying to keep up with the film. Yeah. Uh, I do know Noir, and yes, it can be like this. What makes this difficult to say that 100% for sure is he is clearly taking and evoking from Noir from, like, the, the height of it, from the 30s. Yeah. And putting it into 2004... 2005, and not really changing anything, other than it's set in a high school, and they have, like, they don't they don't have mobile phones, really. They still mm-hmm. use, like, phone booths. And, like, so all of that kind of stiff, clippy nature of talking and the, like, I'm the smartest guy in the room and this guy's a rube and I'm playing these guys off against each other, it works a lot better in that time period where they're wearing the trilby hats and the big coats and that because we understand that was kind of the, the, the language of the time and the language of films at the time. For instance... Miller's Crossing, one of the first things we covered on this show. Mm -hmm. That was a noir. It was a gangster movie, but it had a lot of noir elements. And that film worked a lot better, not just because it didn't feel as uh, reference-heavy, but because they on purposely set it in the 20s and 30s. So that nature that Gabriel Byrne's character had in that movie... For you, the audience, you bought into it because subconsciously in your brain, you've been told in media that that's what that era was like and people like that existed. But the idea of Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a 17-year-old boy who's also Humphrey Bogart is a little bit weird to to swallow. So you're watching what is a postmodern breakdown of a noir film whilst also bringing in anime elements. <laughs> And so you're watching, and that's why you're so interested by your teacher's choice, because this is a modern take on a noir movie, mm-hmm. but like it's a very postmodern. It is a very take of a noir on the understanding you know the genre, and you're into this. Yeah. So I find it interesting that your teacher for noir, the film. Let's say it was just this film. This is the film that was shown. Not, I, I guess, not not Maltese Falcon, not The Big Sleep, you know, stuff mm, like that. Yeah, there must have been another film we watched. I feel like there definitely was, but I know that for this one it was definitely a case of like, oh, find these elements we've been talking about in class in this film that looks completely unlike all the other film noirs. Yeah, yeah. So, do you like this movie? I wouldn't go so far as to say I don't like it, because there are things that I like in it. Um, I think on a visual level, there's a lot of things going on here that I really like. Mm. The the physical performances of the actors, the casting, the costumes. I, I feel like a lot of it is really, really meticulously uh, decided upon and worked really well. Like, I read the trivia point that... Apparently, they worked, rehearsed for three months before starting, and mm. I think I definitely believe that because everyone just seems to get their characters, like the yeah. the nerdy informant guy, the brain, the brain, the 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 femme fatale drama girl <laughs> with her <laughs> lap boys or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Joseph Gordon Levitt, he he did a really good job. The pill, the pill, <laughs> and uh, especially Tug. I really yeah. liked Tug in this film. <laughs> he was a lot. He was one of the things I remembered most. Just that <laughs> scene where he's furiously heading towards his car and beats him up. Like that's the one thing I remembered about this film the strongest in the past twelve years. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I Look, I enjoyed this enough. I thought it was interesting. I agree. I thought it was very meticulously directed. Um, I liked the music that accompanied it. I liked there was, like, these weird sounds in the score that felt like they were, like, actually happening in the world, but you couldn't tell. Like, there was, like, this weird kind of ringing of a thing, and it made me feel like, is that the sound of her, like, um, bangles and stuff smacking together? Like, uh, yeah, the visual, the color palette of the movie, characters are very much defined by colors. Tug is in all in white, the pill's all in black, uh, Emily was wearing the blue, you know, got, um, I forget the other character's name, the other chick, the one who's actually the, the villainous character at the end, she's got the, she's, she's got the red aesthetic going on with her, her wristband thing that she got tied around in the little Asian dress that she wears when we first meet her, one of the first times we meet her, and, 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 and all of that is, is, is really well done. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is really physical. Physically embodying this character, the the hair, the glasses, the the walk, the talk, it took me ooh fifteen minutes to get over Joseph Gordon Levitt's like look in the film because I did feel that oh we're trying to make him not look like a pretty boy mm. because he's got his hair combed forward and it's all curly and he's got these stupid glasses on. But I got over that because I got to know the character more. And those were actually parts of his character. It wasn't just the Hollywood thing of making a pretty boy not look pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't as if in the movie people didn't find him attractive. They did. It was yeah, just multiple exes, yeah. Yeah, so, so it was just getting used to someone I know to look one way looking a completely different way. And what for, for what reason? Oh, it isn't for the cynical reason that I'm used to in Hollywood films that I've come accustomed to over the years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, what do you want to say? You chose this, Brick? Well, like, I'm trying to think <laughs> of what what to say about it, but like... Well, I, I was thinking too, yeah. <laughs> um... So it's it's a mystery film. We have a we have a setup mystery of uh, his ex girlfriend. Uh, he finds her dead body, and um, we we cut back to two days prior. Find out that like she was in some sort of shit, and mm. he has to work out you know what what is this shit that he was in, what that she was in, and who murdered her. So we have this mystery story unfolding over the course of the entire film. Mm. Um, in in a film whose dialogue is very as you say of the of the time that it's that's homaging yeah so at times you're trying to kind of play keep uh, keep up with the film to yeah. make sure you're understanding everything that's going on like i i finished watching the film and i still don't fully understand like every character's you know, role in the whole narrative, like the drama girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, she she knew about the party, which yeah. she was meant to go to, but and she appears multiple times throughout the film, but I'm not entirely confident that I could say, you know, what her point was in the film, <laughs> yeah, other yeah. than, like, you know, just being memorable in her acting. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting film that feels like it's juggling a lot, mm-hmm. um... And and you know what you mentioned Miller's Crossing and this film was somewhat inspired by it. 
I do remember when we did that film, that was one where when I got to the end, I felt like really comfortable in my understanding of it. Yeah, even when you came on the podcast, though, there were some things you wanted clarification on when it came to at least Gabriel Byrne's character's motivations in that movie, because he kept them very close to his chest, which, again, is traditional fear for that type of character in these type of movies. Yeah. At least in this, you understand 100% from the beginning what our main character's goal is and what Mm -hmm. he wants to do and why he's doing all the things that he's doing, even though what we do see of the romance that they had was a fucked up one at that and not a very good one. Yeah, there's like an implication that he betrayed someone by ratting them out to the vice principal. And with Emily, their relationship was just kind of shitty and he like he pushed her. <laughs> that was funny she thing. was upset about him ratting someone out. Yeah. Yeah. So towards the at the end of this film I do have a, you know, clear understanding of the story, but like there are just little elements that I can't piece together and I feel like mm. yeah, maybe if the if the dialogue maybe even tried to be a bit more contemporary that might have helped it a bit. Yeah, when it comes to the end, since we mentioned it, it wasn't a shock to me. I mean, she's the femme fatale. They Mm -hmm. say as much in the movie. He's like, I can't trust you. Immediately, immediately. Mm -hmm. So at the end, when it's supposed to be like, and then she was the one, and they have that... That, that shot that is evoking so heavily the Maltese Falcon, but also feels like it's ripped straight out of a fucking, out of a manga, where he's, like, holding her and you see her tear-drenched makeup as he's, like, revealing what he's done to fuck her over. Mm. And she's wearing the thing in her hair that only women from the 30s wore, <laughs> right? You know? I I got it. I, was, I already knew, and I mean, you know it. I knew it was her. What makes it difficult in this film, in comparison to something like Maltese Falcon, in which the femme fatale is also one of the key players of the side of antagonism, is there was no chemistry between these two characters. At the end of Maltese Falcon... You, you watch it and you go, okay, they didn't explicitly have anything romantic tied to them. They didn't sleep with each other or go to bed or whatever. But Humphrey Bogart and Mary Astor had killer chemistry with one another that matched the tone of the movie. So when he, at the end of that film, is weighing up whether he should abide by the rules of the law or fuck the law and go with the sexy lady... You feel something because these actors had chemistry and her character in the Maltese Falcon was fun and unique and really well played. Well, the, the, the character in this, it wasn't like she wasn't well played, but she was very, very meek and subdued and kind of just, oh, oh, yeah, she's in the movie. She very much kept coming in like, and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah she's here too. Yeah, to give him too. a ride or something. And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the... Yeah. You're, you're the lady. You're at the party. Yeah, you're you're the short-haired lady that yeah. I, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you. And that's kind of the point, right? They don't want you to think that it's her that's behind all this, but of course you know it is, because the movie says as much at the very beginning. So I'm left at the end, having already solved the mystery, and I'm like, okay, well, at least... I can feel something. I don't really feel anything for for either of them because they didn't have any real chemistry and she wasn't that fascinating of a character in a in a film filled with fascinating characters. Am I wrong? There's so no, many. You're right. Yeah, yeah. But she wasn't one of them. 
She was never one of them. And in the Maltese Falcon, there, there's so many fascinating characters in that. And Mary Astor's not the most fascinating, but she still is one. She's still an interesting character to watch. So at the end of that film, when you have things similar to this happen, there's tension, there's energy, there's, there's pathos here. But in, 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 in this film, in Brick, I was like, oh, okay, you're evoking. You're, you're evoking to these things. I recognize these visuals, these hits, these moments. Oh, and then the Lost in Translation moment where she whispers something in his ear and is like, what did she say? Oh, fine. Don't tell me then. End movie. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, and the, like you're saying there with Maltese Falcon, which I haven't seen it, but you mentioned that there's stakes there, like Humphrey yeah, yeah. Bogart's making a decision. Here, yeah, he's already made the decision and he's just pointing it out. Yeah. So it's it's... Yeah, it's not even comparable, I suppose. No. Yeah. No, it's uh Yeah, it's a tough one. Did you have a favorite character? Other than Tug, I guess. <laughs> he was very memorable. He was very memorable. He got angry a lot. He got angry, he <laughs> He beat the shit out of Joseph Gordon Levitt a lot. I like yeah, I like that uh, all of the beatings that Joseph Gordon Levitt got throughout the film were earned. Were well earned, but they they added up to making him weaker as the film goes on. Because usually, yeah, yeah. usually you're used to oh, character gotten beaten up. Well, they'll be all right in a scene or two. <clears throat> yeah, but he wasn't in this. No, he wasn't in this. Like it got to the point where I'm so used to that trap that I'm like, did he have an illness that I forgot about? No, he just swallowed too much blood. No, he's just been beaten up so much, and normal people do not handle that well. <laughs> but it's weird, right? Because the film's trying to do that too, where it's just like. It's riding that zone where it's like, hey, hey, we're this fantastical, bizarro version of the world you live in, right? This is movie land. This is movie land. But also, things like that are in there where it's like, oh, but we're not doing movie land. See how we're actually paying attention to detail how the real world works? I'm like, well, if the real world fucking works, where's his parents? Why is fucking... Why is Richard Roundtree pretending like he's a police chief when he's just a vice principal? Like, there's so much shit like that. And, like, okay. and also you have the pin's mum, who is just not in a noir film. No, no, she's in she's, a different movie. She's just in like, oh, I'm the mum in a real world yeah. family. <laughs> but again, that one was fine because it was played for the comedic moment. It reminded yeah. me of the Australian film that we have watched called Idiot Box. Mm-hmm. Where in Idiot Box there's a drug dealer who's dealing out of his garage and <laughs> he has a lackey who gets him a hamburger with pineapple on it and he's like take it back. The pineapple ruins the meat. And he's sitting there and he's like pretending to be this big gangster and then his mum comes in with like a tray of juices and stuff and he's like, oh, thanks, mum. And just like gives her a kiss on the cheek. Hey, was, and and yeah. that movie, it made 100% sense there too because that movie's a comedy movie the whole time. It doesn't try to be as... As, as as stoic as Brick is at many points, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is never trying to be in a comedy movie in this, ever. Oh, yeah, I was... He's in comedy sequences, but he's playing it like... Well, like... I was reading that like any comedy moment in this film was specifically made so that the actors would take it all seriously and yeah. only we would be finding it funny. Like The, the one that really got me was when, um, when we saw Tug's family... <laughs> And it's just yeah, a and bunch. all of him, just the same outfit. <laughs> just a shitload of them watching some loud cartoon, all dressed the same, and it's not acknowledged at all. No, it just moves on. <laughs> this movie's twee. 
It's very twee. We've talked about that before. I had to mm-hmm. teach you that. Yep. The most twee moment was uh, when when we're in um, the pins van and he's making J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt standing up and between him and the pin is this giant lamp with a lampshade and it's on. Why? Because it's random. I was reading on no, I was, it was a video. I think I watched of someone reviewing the film, talking about how because it's it's a film, it's like an indie film mm. with a bunch of teenagers in it. It would have little moments that evoke like, oh, this is like a teenagers film that they made for like a class or something. And I feel like that lamp is one of the big things that evokes <laughs> that because it's like, oh, he's got an office in a car that he's treating like a limo, and you can see the lampshade like shaking around because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so low budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. He got beat up a lot, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. If you don't like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, this is the film for you. You get to see him get the fuck beaten out of him a lot. There was one moment I really liked. I my my favorite like suspenseful moment is when he got stabbed or cut. At the guy school. chasing him. Yeah, and that that whole chasing sequence was really well done. I was about to bring that up. Yeah, I really liked how deliberately far away they shot the sequence of events like you're really close on Joseph Gordon-Levitt but the other guy you never feel like until he gets knocked out you get a real good look at him Mm. even when he comes up and and, and cuts Joseph Gordon-Levitt he's still kind of in silhouette and shadow a bit. I mean, you see a bit of him, but, like, you know, you don't feel like he's always you comfortably the... have identified who this is. He's always on the move. You never see him, like, standing still. And he, until yeah. he's beaten up, but then you can't see his face, really. Yeah, until he's knocked... Well, you see it on his license. Well, beaten up, knocked out. Knocked yeah. the fuck out. And that was an amazing moment. I was like, what's he doing? He's, he, he's taking his shoes off. Joseph gordon Levitt's running around the corner, taking his shoes off. It's like masking his footsteps? Well, he still have to run. It's, no, oh. so it makes him slide and tackle better. <laughs> The sound in that sequence was really great. Like, the, the loud footsteps of that guy, that was, like, crazy. I, I honestly thought before they showed, because they, they have a moment of reaction from Joseph Gordon-Levitt, before they showed the other guy, I thought he ran and fell onto his own knife, because he was holding the knife. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. And, and, then, and then you cut, and he's, like, smacked into the pole, which you did see. That was set up, so... But not it wasn't set up in the way where it's like, see, guys, it's, it's at the pole. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt claps his hands, just as planned. <laughs> well, you can quote the Death Note one, Keikaku. Which is just as planned. <laughs> All according to Keikaku. Keikaku means plan. Death Note by Adam Wingard on Netflix, starring <laughs> starring um, Lakeith Stanfield in character, even in the interviews. <laughs> Save that for next week, Ryan. Oh, all right, I'll do that for <laughs> next episode. I will do my due diligence and not watch any of Death Note, the anime, and I'll continue <laughs> that. I'll continue that. Um, I'm trying to think with Brick. I really thought that um, the film had a, a great sense of atmosphere, and like you said, there's just weird things going on that you feel like, okay, but it adds, it doesn't detract. Mm. Like when they go to the pin's house and you go down to the basement and there's just like a corridor filled with boys. Mm. None of them like talk or say anything. And then he's led into the basement and there's the pin and he's dressed like a fucking vampire from the 18th century with a cane and everything. Apparently it was based on Dark Shadows, so yeah. And it's Luke uh, Lucas Haas, Haas yeah. uh, who I know from Mars Attacks and The Witness. 
you know, cute-ish, weird-looking kid actor grows up. You know, he's still he's still around acting. He's still he's still always been a very busy working actor. But him and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, when they were younger, would I feel like they would kind of compete for roles together. They had a very similar kind of energy and look. They're both like the the mousy auburn-haired boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to see him. I really liked the pin. I thought he was a fun character. I liked. Uh, the last time we saw him, where he was just getting beaten the fuck up and the cuts of not showing it, and just hearing him beg for help. Mm. <laughs> he should have used his bird cane. Yeah, his, his duck cane. I thought it was a duck or a swan. But uh, I liked him. I like that weird sequence where they're at the beach, mm. and the sun's like glaring at the camera, and he sits down. They just have like a really frank conversation about shit, and then then Joseph Gonzalez was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, can I go now?" And just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the pinch trying to like drop the pretense of being like, "I'm the gangster, you're my new heavy," and be like, "Let's talk about life." And Joseph Gonzalez was like, "That's not my role. I'm not here to be for you. I just want to get the fucking plot done, okay?" And he's trying to like talk around the fact, like, "Oh, you know what, Tug? I don't know if I can trust him. Maybe you can deal with him, but he's not saying it directly." No. Richard Roundtree as the vice principal. He's in, like, two scenes, right? One of which he has dialogue. Uh, he has one scene where he's visible, and I remember the phone call where we could hear his voice, but... He I was doing remember. the locker at the end. Oh, right, yes. Uh, I guess you can count that as a scene. That's him visually, and he's yeah. contributing to the plot. Yeah. Um, I like Richard Roundtree. Uh, we had him on for Speed Racer. Mm-hmm. And I said in that episode, very firmly and very proudly, he played Shaft. And you and the guest, Reese were like, no, he didn't. You're thinking of someone else. Well, I didn't know it was, so it was Reese. Yeah. So here I am, and I just want to clarify, I was right. Um, all these years later, I just want to <laughs> clarify, I was correct, he is that, and I'm right, and uh, I just want to just cement that for everyone now, that I was right in the past, and will be right again. Which <laughs> film was more visually interesting? Ooh, 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 great question, Big Fat Liar. So, <laughs> a completely different answer. Big Fat Liar, the most visually interesting film ever made. It's got colour. Um, what did you think of the vice principal scene, <laughs> where it was like, directly, he's like, the police chief? I was re- <laughs> It was giving me Book of Henry flashbacks, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your favourite movie. <laughs> yes. Where Book Henry, where Henry, like, the 11-year-old boy storms into the office and he's like, God damn it, Felicia, whatever her name was. Yeah. And she's like, oh, Henry. What the hell, Linda? <laughs> yeah, what the hell, Linda? And, and then she throws her hands up. Yeah, like, you caught me? <laughs> yeah. Is this almost is, is this almost as good as the Book of Henry? Almost. They're both... Weirdo, bizarro world, film noir, detective stories, character-driven, funny things in school settings. Is this the better movie or that one? Now remember, Naomi Wa- Naomi Watts got a sniper rifle in her movie. Jessica and Levitt didn't get that, so remember that. And she was a gamer. She was. That's... She liked her. Do you remember her game of choice? Was it Call of Duty? No. No, it was a shooter of some sort. Yeah, though, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Think more, think more, dude, bro, masculine, beefcake. Gears of War. Gears of War. Gears of War. She loved Gears of War. <laughs> See, made you laugh. Well, she had an Xbox, so she had, had an Gears Xbox. 
Well, um, I think you've answered it there, yeah. It was is Book of Henry, better film. It cost it cost him his fucking Star Wars movie, Colin Trevorrow, but hey. No, that's true, that's it. true. This guy got to make a Star Wars film. Yeah, so, you know what? I take it back. Brick's the better movie. It got mm. Ryan Johnson the chance to piss off some Star Wars nerds, which is always the goal mm-hmm. of a filmmaker, to piss off Star Wars nerds. I love it. Um... So what about this film didn't you like or held you back? Anything else? Just the the amount of jigsaw puzzle pieces that were being slowly put on the board and you were like, what does this all add up to? I, I guess, yeah, that, that whole retrospective aspect of like, oh, I don't quite know how all of this added up. But I, I guess thinking about it a bit harder, most of it is fine. Like, you know, Dode makes sense, the, the drug guy. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> It does mostly come together, but it's, I guess, if it was a bit more clear, it would have worked. Well, what doesn't come together for you? What are you still hazy on? It's mostly, yeah, the drama girl. Right, right. Which feels really weird to say, because, like, she is not that important to the plot, but we see her so many times. She was was the reason that the... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of details with her. Yeah. Wasn't she the reason that... Tug thought it was his kid, or was she the reason that the other guy thought it was his kid? She was the reason that one of them thought it was their kid in the first place, and because she's the school gossip, and she's also a part of the drug thing. Yeah, I I imagine that everyone is part of that in some way. Yeah, and she got Emily into the world in the first place, so that's kind of what she's there for. Mm. She's... um. This is this is a callback to our own mythos. Okay. When we were in university, we did our own production called Soviet Western, and in that film, uh, in that show, sorry, there was a character called Jelly Bean, mm-hmm. and in a, in a scene, she's like the right hand woman of the villain man. Me, that was my character, the villain man. I wasn't Jelly Bean. And there's a scene where our hero had to go talk to her in a bar, and the whole entire scene was just basically. Please tell me the plot and information, please. <laughs> and that's what she does. That's her character role, is you're the one with secrets that I need to get so that the plot can progress. She is exposition dump. Yeah, that's that's basically what I was getting. Um, She could have been so done better again. Not necessarily relatable, but just because we've done it on the pod, Miller's Crossing did a much better job with all of its characters existing for reasons outside of that. Mm-hmm. Like, why was Steve Buscemi in in uh, in Miller's Crossing? He's in, like, one scene. We hear about him a lot, but there's an actual payoff to why he was in that movie. You know, I don't want to spoil it, but, like... He 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 acts as something in that movie, even though he's like in one or two scenes. And the lead woman in in Mills Crossing, she was so important because all of it revolved around her brother, who was John Turturro, and all of it revolved around her just trying to protect her brother. And that's why everything got fucking convoluted in the first place because she was sleeping with one gangster who would protect the brother. Right? She had a function. Yeah. Um, that was very clear and made sense, and she had a character reason why that function happened. Well, this lady, she was just a bitch, <laughs> and that's why everything happened from her perspective of, she was just a bitch who, like, for fun said, you're the dad of this, and you're this, and blah blah blah, while the actual femme fatale, the one who is the villainous turn at the end, she had actual justifications 
from a character perspective to do all the bad things that she did do. Hence, she was a much more fleshed out character to the point in which I will agree with you. Did the drama chick need to even be in the movie? At, at the end of it, did, did she even need to be there other than that's a fun idea of like every time we come to her, she's in different outfits doing some play yeah, or the, something? The, yeah, the scene where she had the makeup, the heavy makeup on, I thought that was really good because like. Yeah, like the kabuki. Yeah, she, she barely seemed any different when she was pretending to be sad and when she was being herself. And I thought that was, yeah, kind of striking. It's like, oh, man, you really can't trust this character. I'd call her Two-Face, but there's only one. <laughs> I, I was a little bit thrown off by the end of that scene in which somehow he makes her f- fall out into the corridor without a top on or something. And oh, then yeah, that like, was a thing. Yeah, yeah. I was more happy with... There was this amazing shot of her from low down with the mirror broken behind her, and it was like this fractured state of this woman. Yeah, it was like the background yeah. of her head. And and you saw like this, you know, this broken woman in front of you, basically. Like, she's done all this for what? And I was like, that's a much better ending than Joseph Gordon Levitt rips off her top and makes her run out accidentally in front of all the boys. I, I was for- in this movie. I forgot about that, but now that you mentioned it, it all comes back. Because, yeah, I, and she I agree. Screams, that- what the hell are you doing? And he, and he says some quip. <laughs> he says some quip. What was that? You know what that was? For foreshadowing to Ryan Johnson's humor in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Because remember, there's so many weird comedy moments in Star Wars The Last Jedi that you would say, you would say feel out of place in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, guys. In this movie, he has jokes that feel out of place for his own movie. Like that moment. That was like, did we need that, Ryan? And some people will say yes, and that's the thing about humor. It's subjective, but your reaction parts are kind of says, oh, that was in there. Fuck, fuck. It was like so weird. But not in a good weird way. Like with the brain. I liked the brain every time he showed up. And he was like, like hey, I'm here too, by the way. And then I, like the first trivia point I read was people suspect that he's not a real person, but just like this imaginary thing of our main yeah, character. You and only, like, you only okay. ever see him together with uh, Brendan. And he only and he just comes in and out of the movie so weirdly. And there's like no one talks about him. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that theory? I mean, it has weight to it. Uh, the I don't think that character shares a scene with anyone else unless someone was in the background in the library. No. Like, the very last thing we see in the film is um, Brain talking to our main character from behind, and we do not see Brain until uh, after the character that the main character was just talking to has left. Yeah. I, I, I like that touch, too, of... It just keeps cutting to her walking off the field. She's still taking her time because it's a big field. Because they meet up in the middle for some reason. And like directly in the middle of the field every time. Yep. They don't just meet by the side. In the middle where everyone has to walk like for fucking 15 minutes to get there. It's the most dramatic place. It's dramatic. And that's what makes it good storytelling. Now that you've seen two Ryan Johnson films. Mm -hmm. Are you interested in him as a filmmaker and storyteller? What do you think? Because you weren't a big fan necessarily of his storytelling in Star Wars The Last Jedi. But that was under the context Mm. of this is a Star Wars movie. What do you think of Ryan Johnson, the filmmaker and storyteller? Um, I I think I am interested in checking out more of his work. I mean, obviously, as you say, the Star Wars thing is under the umbrella of Star Wars is a thing that I understand, at least to some extent. Yeah. And this is his first film. 
He's obviously he still has a career, and I think you even recommended Knives Out to me once. I enjoyed Knives Out, yeah. Yeah, that's his newest film at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, my experiences with him of these two films I've seen, I, I'm not discounting checking out more of his based on that. Mm. Again, like I said, there are things in this film that I really liked. A lot of the visual elements I thought were great, and I think if he only gets better from here. Yeah. I mean, I know we've done Star Wars, but if he only gets better from here, then that's cool. He's working on Knives Out too. I, oh, wait, I think I've technically seen Looper, but it was one of those things where I was on a flight and I kept falling asleep, so I can't count that. I, I don't even know how... <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with Looper. I don't even... There's just stuff that... Here's what I say about Looper. If you take it seriously, you're not going to enjoy yourself. And it's kind of hard for me because it's like... I get that, but I really hate in a movie where they do that, where where what I mean by that is there is a character in that movie who basically says, don't think about it. Okay. And that pisses me off sometimes, in a movie, especially in these movies that are trying to be cerebral and heady. In a sci-fi film, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends the tone. Like, when we watch an Austin Powers movie, right, and Austin Powers 2, the spy who shagged me, when they have the whole time travel conversation, and then they just look at the audience, and he's like, got that? <laughs> Remember that? Where Basil's like, yeah. everybody got that? Okay, we can have fun now, and move <laughs> on. <laughs> and, you know, that's fine, but, like, uh, Ryan Johnson, Brick, that was your recommendation. Anything else you want to say about? Anything else you want to touch upon? Um, I guess just this final recommendation, if this is one that you're just going to have to give a go and find out yourself. For. Yeah. 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 Well, it is me next for recommending a film, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm tossing around a couple. I'm like, which one should we do? And I think we should do one that we have talked about in the past, but I have seen you have not last I checked. Mm-hmm. Drive Ah, by our friend Nicholas Winding Refn, Mm -hmm. who loves this film. (laughs) He loves it. He made it, but he loves it. Um, So we'll be doing Drive for the next episode, starring Ryan Gosling. Just want to keep up the Ryan trend for the films. (laughs) Now we've got one who spells it the same way I do. I don't spell mine with an I like a freak. I spell it with a Y. But uh, you keep it to a one vowel name, please. Yeah, yes, please. I don't want them next to each other either. Yucky, yee. So, drive the film about Ryan Gosling being a driver, and uh, that'll be fun. That'll be interesting. It will to be. See. This is one that I keep getting people being like, "You haven't seen Drive?" And even you, my brother. You well, of course, your brother. <laughs> your brother is surprisingly more knowledgeable about films than you, the film guy. <laughs> well, when it comes to Drive. When it comes to drive, oh, come on. Don't throw your brother under the bus like this. Not again. Not again. Do we want to cause more drama with you and your brother? He's still not gotten over <laughs> the Shark Tale incident where you said he didn't play the game. And do you want to start that? Oscar, I'm sorry. I tried to I tried to stop Bartzak. He just he just says that you've not seen films. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, you know, you've seen Drive at least, but, you know... Just don't attack me about it, okay? <laughs> um, so, Drive, yes, you haven't seen it, and now you've seen a Nicholas Winding Refn film in the past, you kind of know what to go in with. Mm-hmm. So, for this, 
recommend that you watch it under the mindset of it's going to be a slow, non-heavy dialogue-based movie that is about mood and atmosphere. Mm-hmm. There will be set pieces, there will be little things, but now you've seen... I mean, you, you started with the Neon Demon. Mm-hmm. I think you can handle Drive. I think I can. <laughs> You're a big boy now, <laughs> and in a year's time you'll be a man. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> so, Drive, that is it. Where can people find us on the internet, Bartek? You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on YouTube. Mm. We're on a lot of places. You can just look us up on Google and they'll show you where we are. You can find our episodes on Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Again, just so many places. So Spit and Polish presents, and we have an email in which you can email us with your queries, questions, thoughts, concerns, and recommendations at spitandpolished at gmail.com. All of this is in the description of the episode, as is the usual case, so if you need to double-check, it's all there. So that's it, Bartek. I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave you now. Because a cigarette was thrown at me with a little arrow pointing at a direction I have to look at, which was okay. That was crazy for a fucking start. That was that was fucking nuts. Where where the car just drives past and a cigarette gets flicked out the window, and then he looks at it, and the arrow is just conv- on the on the cigarette is pointing and is conveniently pointing at a location he needs to see. How did they time that one? That's what we call movie, movie world. Magic. Movie world magic. But also, like, he gets injured along the way and his injury is sustained because this isn't movie world, this is the real world! In a way, in a way, that arrow was pointing to pain. Because it was in him. Mm. Like, internally, it swallowed too much blood. (laughs) Oh, I just remembered one other thing. There was a trivia point about, it was in the Richard Roundtree scene, they were talking about a teacher at the school. Yes, Did you look up that teacher's name, like, when it was spelled out? Yes, it made me think of your name. What the fuck was that, man? That's literally my last name, but with three missing letters. Well, Bartek, it was based on a real teacher, so you better find them and say, here's the letters, and throw your letters at them. (laughs) Finish the fucking name! (laughs)